I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up, patrons? Ben and Chad here once again as the CME's Patreon Power Hour rolls on for May the 6th, 2022. This is the podcast that is normally for the two top tiers of CME patrons at the $5 and $10 levels. This being UFC 274 Fight Week, and there being, frankly, a lot of MMA out there this weekend with Bellator and the PFL and the UFC all doing events We were considering putting this episode out for free anyway, as we sometimes do when we feel like we have a topic of general interest that might uh, appeal to co-main event podcasts, non-paying customers. And that turned out to be somewhat uh, sentient here, as now we sit down circa 1.35 p.m. in the one true time zone with some breaking news here, Ben. Uh, The UFC has stripped... Charles Oliveira of the lightweight title after he missed weight leading up to his UFC 274 match against Justin Gaethje. Charles Oliveira ultimately came in at 155.5 pounds. Uh, So he is no longer the champion. The title is vacant. He's still going to fight Justin Gaethje on Saturday night. We believe I think we're doing a thing where Justin Gaethje, if he wins, he becomes the champion. Yeah. And if if Chucky Olives wins, then the title remains vacant. However, I got to say, this is all news to me. This is one of those things where I thought I could take one hour out of my day to stop doom scrolling on Twitter and go out and squeeze in a workout before we record the power hour. Next thing I know, I come back. I turn on uh, my computer, and the first thing I see is our guy Sean Al Shadi out here telling me we no longer have a UFC lightweight champion. I'm, uh, I'm in a tizzy right now. Yeah, it's you're staring into the void, is what I'm hearing. Because we, at the time of this recording, do not have a UFC lightweight champion. Chaos reigns, Chad. Cats and dogs living together. It's madness out there. I mean, you can you can feel it. It's like all order has broken down. Has the looting begun yet? Has anybody checked to see if the looting has begun? Well, the plot thickens because even as we begin to talk about this, you got uh, Claudia Gadella out there, I believe is who it was, tweeting uh, that somebody fucked up the scale. She is, okay. She is tweeting, now somebody fucked up the scale and we got a big problem on our hands. So the tinfoil hats are out. Uh, the conspiracies are well underway. This seems like it would be an easy one to figure out or disprove because all you'd have to do is have Charles Oliveira get on a different scale. Although I will say, if you saw the video where he came out and he weighed in at 156 on his first attempt, Charles Oliveira did look visibly surprised when he got on the scale 
uh, and they announced his his weight as being one pound over. It took him a second to even register it. He was smiling, grinning like he'd done the damn thing. And then suddenly he realized it and he got all surprised that he'd weighed in heavy. So who knows? Hashtag what's really going on here with the weight of the now former lightweight champion, Charles Oliveira. But as we sit here, what we think is happening is that he is no longer the lightweight champion in his fight against Justin Gaethje for him is no longer for the title. Okay, I've seen, on rare occasions, events where somebody has fucked up the scale. And when that happens, typically what you see is a bunch of weight misses. Not just one. And I mean, I know Norma Dumont missed two. Uh, She came in 146.5, I believe, for her fight. But you look around... Rose Namajunas and Carlos Esparza both made the strawweight championship limit at 115. Uh, Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson were both within you know the one-pound allowance for non-title fights at lightweight. You look around, you see what you would expect to see elsewhere. You don't see a whole lot of people coming in just a little bit over, which is, that's often the case when somebody has fucked up the scale. It doesn't help, though, either, right, that Charles Oliveira was... Among the last people to the scale, if not the actual last person. I don't know if he was the, but we were waiting on Charles Oliveira to get there. So that already gets people prepared to think that maybe you're having a problem with your weight cut if you're using up every last possible moment to get it done. And then when you come in there, you're, you're pound over. The, what vexes me is that he comes in there, they, they strip him down, get the hoop out, the hoop of shame. He makes 155.5 with the hoop and they tell him, we'll give you an hour to lose that that 0.5 pounds. He comes back an hour later, Chad. It's the exact same. Yeah, well... Didn't lose an ounce. And I think that that perhaps speaks to some of the questions moving forward here as we approach this this fight with Justin Gaethje. Uh, I know that in a, in a real-world pragmatic sense, you got to have these weight limits to have order and have champions and have championship fights. But the, the fact of the matter is Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira are both going to rehydrate somewhere between 10 and, damn, 30 pounds before they get back in the cage on Saturday night. So the fact of the matter to me is that a guy coming in at 155.5 is probably not going to affect the competitive balance of the fight on Saturday night. That part of it won't make a damn bit of difference. The parts of it that could conceivably affect this matchup against Justin Gaethje, which, by the way, still will be five rounds, and you're going in there against a buzzsaw of a competitor in Gaethje. How hard was the weight cut? Did Charles Oliveira absolutely ring himself out trying to make the limit, and when he went back to try to lose the final half pound, just flat didn't have that water weight in his body anymore and was unable to lose that half pound. That's the first thing that should concern you about what could be Charles Oliveira's performance on Saturday night. The second part of it that I think should concern you is how he responds psychologically to this, to be now the first champion in UFC history to get on the scale and miss weight and be stripped of the title. That's got to be a blow to all of your preparation, your mental mindset, your strategy, everything, that's going to be something that could potentially be tough to bounce back from. So those things more than the actual 
half pound that he missed the weight limit by to me are the much bigger stories about what will happen when he and Gaethje actually fight. Yeah. Speaking of that uh, tweet from Michael Chandler, and he tweeted this, I believe, during the hour that Charles Oliveira was trying to lose that extra half pound. He wrote, quote, making weight is always hard, but thinking you're on weight, then missing weight just to have to go lose more weight after you've lost your initial sweat is a living nightmare, both physically and mentally. Hashtag UFC 274. He adds helpfully. Now, I think that that's a, a good point that you both bring up here, especially when it's saying like you've, you've rung yourself out pretty much to get down there. think you got there and you've lost that sweat you had going and you're already pretty depleted. And now you have to try to get that sweat going again to try to get an extra half pound out. Kind of, you know, I could see how maybe in that hour he they couldn't get it done. Also, I imagine... Your stress levels are probably extremely high at that point, which does not make the weight cut any easier. And you're right, not only because you go through this sort of psychological uh, battering of yourself, I'm sure, when you realize, did I just lose my belt to the scale without even getting a chance to defend it in the cage? But then also, does this mean that Charles Oliveira does not get the typical champion's cut of the pay-per-view proceeds now? Because he will technically be going into tomorrow night's fight, the actual fight portion of it, not the champion. Does this yeah. mean there is no there is no lightweight champion right now? So the only person, I mean, if we're assuming that everybody is getting a uh, every champion is getting a cut of the UFC pay per view, which as Demetrius Johnson made plain uh, when he was a flyweight champion, that doesn't isn't always the case. But more often than not, that's the that is the whole thing of being the UFC champion is you get points on the pay-per-view right now. If that's the case, then it would mean that Rose Namajunas is the only person who's coming in as a defending champion. And that's a big financial difference to you. That's got to fuck with your head too. You think you're going in there to fight for one amount of money. And now you find out you're going in there to fight for just regular ass show win money. Uh, That's a big difference. Yeah, uh, and I suppose that will come down to the language of Charles Oliveira's contract. I'm not sure. Something tells me that in that kind of a situation, the UFC would like side with having to pay out as little as possible. You know, those contracts are pretty one-sided as it is. But you're right that this is essentially the worst of all possible worlds for him because you still go through the really difficult parts of a weight cut Basically, a weight cut in a half because you go through the first initial thing and then you have to go back and do it some more. And then you still don't get there. So you're going to suffer the physical depletion, the physical effects of trying to get yourself rehydrated and ready to go again. But without the any of the benefits. Now, you're ineligible to win a bonus. bonus you lost your title. Maybe you lost points on the pay-per-view. It's a goddamn disaster for him. And yeah. it does sort of drive home a little bit of the silliness of what we're doing a little bit of the just letter of the law bullshit that we're doing when it comes to weight cuts in MMA. I get it. We say there's a weight. you got to be a professional. You got to make the weight. And it's already a little ridiculous that, Hey, if you're a champion, we expect you to hit right on the mark. If you are anybody else, you know, if you're not in a title fight, we give you that pound allowance, but we're talking about half a pound, eight fucking ounces. That's a, that's a damn smoothie, Chad. That's a small smoothie. That's not even like your big size. That's not even a medium smoothie. And that's the difference you're telling me is is making him a former UFC champion now. It's kind of ridiculous because, as you said, it's not like he's getting an advantage from that half a pound in this situation. Yeah, and I know, like I said before, 
you got to have some structure and rules, especially if you're the promoter, you got to be able to have these weight classes so you can have champions and set up these fights and, and be able to put the fights on. So you got to have some benchmark where the guys have to come in. But I agree that at times like this, it does kind of seem like, you know, as, as much as we campaign for an even and consistent enforcement of the rules of mixed martial arts, which is a big topic of conversation in and around the sport, as much as we support that and talk about it frequently about the stuff that goes on during the fights in t- in situations like this, it does seem like you should have a, well, fuck it close enough, uh, kind of a, a, a an out clause just so you don't get into yourself into these, into these messes like we have with Charles Oliveira right now. And Oh, by the way, let's just remind everybody the UFC has already made it clear to regulators and politicians and everyone who will read the fine print that these belts they got that they give to these guys are ornamental in nature. Yeah. This is an argument the UFC makes. I'm not making it. They has, basically has made say, before Congress. Yes. Yeah. They'll they'll tell you, oh, these these belts, oh, they don't actually mean anything. We just we just put them on these guys for promotional purposes. And let's recall as well. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't Al Ayakinta a little bit overweight yeah. when he well, came I into? Well, I believe he he was like 155.2 or something. So, but uh, didn't hit 155 for his short notice championship fight against Habib Nurmagomedov, and in that instance, the UFC did in fact say "fuck it" close enough. If if Rage and Al wins the fight, he's still the champion. So the UFC can kind of do whatever it wants, and I understand the necessity around enforcing these rules and why you got to have. Uh, structure and order and all this stuff, but I don't know, man. It seems like we're we're needlessly making up pitfalls for ourselves and chaos and different things that can happen. And and as you mentioned before we started recording, maybe it's extra buzz. Maybe it brings a little more promotional punch to whatever you're trying to sell. But to me, it just seems like can't we just can't we just ballpark this one? Say we're still doing it for the title. Well, I mean, the extra buzz right now feels like God damn it all. We couldn't just have ourselves a nice, lightweight title fight. We couldn't just go out there, you know, two excellent fighters. Seems like it's going to be an exciting fight and just make things real simple. That's what the buzz feels like right now. Like It gives yeah, us something someone, to talk about, but it's not, it's not happy. Someone's going to have to call P.T. Barnum and get a ruling on whether or not this publicity is good publicity. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've already got the tweets rolling in here. Uh, like I said, Claudia Goodella out here stoking the, the fires of conspiracy. Islam Mahachev has tweeted, keep your head up, Charles, and good luck tomorrow. We all know you're the champ for a reason, and I'm looking to fight the winner of this fight, either for a vacant title or a new lightweight champion. So Mahachev still, he's he's down to clown, it would appear, with whoever wins this fight. And I guess, so my follow-up question is, is this truly chaos, or let's say for the sake of argument that, that Charles Oliveira wins tomorrow night, that he beats Justin Gaethje. And then we, we can, we have a, a, an ongoing lightweight title vacancy. Do you just book Chucky olives against Mahachev and, and, or whoever the number one contender may be at that point and say, that's for the title. And we just get ourselves right back into sort of a de facto title fight. Anyhow. I mean, already based on what we've gone through, just in the last few hours, it feels recklessly speculative to try to look that far down the road. You know, I, it feels borderline uh, overly optimistic just to th- assume that we get ourselves a fight tomorrow night. Who knows at this point? I I don't know. I think that if if we stick with this, if nobody comes around and says, oh, wh- whoops, we actually did fuck up the scale or nobody says, hey, close enough. Uh 
then I think we're all just going to sit here. We're going to wait and see what happens. And not only what happens, but just how everybody, what the temperature in the room seems to be after what happens. And then kind of go from there. Although I will point out, you mentioned the tweets rolling in. I'm looking at one right now from Guillermo Cruz, who says, Norman Dumont, who missed weight also for this card, and Ariane Karnalovsi told me the hotel scale was reset overnight. And many fighters found out on Friday morning they were two pounds heavier than they thought. Now, two pounds, mm. that's kind of a significant difference. Don't know if that was the case with Charles Oliveira, whose coach posted last night he had already made weight. Okay. So perhaps Claudia Gadella is referring to the scale at the hotel, not the not the official scale Well, yeah, but usually, backstage for the weigh-in. Usually the way they do it is in the workout rooms uh, at the host hotel, the UFC will have a scale that, you know, kind of the UFC is, the event staff is responsible for making sure is accurate. But that's what the fighters are going off of when they, you see them in there all the time. And they're, they're in the room, they're in plastics, hitting pads taking everything off and going over to check their weight. And that's, you know, they're not going off of like a goddamn bathroom scale that somebody brought in their carry-on. You know, they're going off of a, what's supposed to be an official scale that the UFC has assured them is accurate. Uh, and so if that, if they, if somebody decided, oh, whoops, sorry, we weren't right. The one you've been using all week to check your weight uh, and they, then they figure it out Friday morning then yeah, I could see that that'd be kind of a big deal, especially if you thought you were already on weight and you said, all right, let's go to bed, where maybe you would have kept cutting and maybe you would have been capable of it uh, if you had just realized it at the time. Yeah. Uh, This throws a lot of our planning for today's Power Hour again, (laughs) kind of into chaos here. I was going to save this item for the power rankings, but that's a, a little bit out the window now. And I was going to say, this is all, of course, written before Charles Oliveira has missed weight. But we talked about this on Doing the Damn Thing, and I wanted to reiterate it a little bit when we talked about this fight. And we might as well do that now, since since we've got some breaking news around this fight. And that is, I haven't super loved everything Justin Gaethje has said and done around this fight uh, in the lead up to it. And that is, uh, I wanted to read this quote from the from media day earlier this week where he says once a coward always a coward gaethje said i'm not calling him a coward but i'm saying that's you just can't take that away it's there uh habib never showed you that and that's why you can't compare those two he says clearly talking about uh charles Oliveira, so he's not saying he's just saying a little Mm -hmm. bit here uh but i wasn't totally in love with it and now we've got this instance where charles Oliveira misses weight was it just a scale malfunction or can we take something away from the preparations here of Charles Oliveira that, uh, that I don't want to read too much into it or anything like that. But like, does this make you think differently about Charles Oliveira's preparation now that he has missed this weight? You know, not necessarily just because he has had a weird history when it comes to making weight, both honestly at uh, featherweight and at lightweight. You know, like he's had times where he missed the featherweight limit, and but he's also had times, uh, and I believe at both featherweight and at lightweight, where he's come in strangely under, like several pounds under, more like you know, three four pounds under, which people normally never do. So I don't know. It does seem like he's had weigh-in problems before you know he's had he's missed weight especially when he was a featherweight missed weight a number of times so it's not like this is something that 
only now is uh, looking like an issue for him. And it's also not like... It's not like when Nick Diaz showed back up to fight Robbie Lawler most recently and was asking for a, a catch weight the week of the fight and showed up looking maybe not like he was in the greatest of shape. This is a goddamn title defense. I have no reason to believe that he wasn't doing everything he possibly could in the gym. Uh, sometimes there's an injury that might hamper your ability to cut the weight. But when you when you have a history of struggling with the weight, maybe it's just that your own weight cut technique is just has never been dialed in. Maybe it's just your your body has a hard time with it and it's sort of unpredictable. I don't know. It, I, I guess I would be more inclined to think that the preparation, the whole fight camp was to blame if it weren't for all those other variables that seem to suggest that this is just sort of a problem that maybe Charles Oliveira will always be dealing with as a fighter. Uh, so he said, the tweet's rolling in. I don't know if you saw this one. Justin Gaethje posted this. During the hour while Charles Oliveira had weighed in once and then was supposed to cut the rest of the weight and come back and try to make weight, Gaethje had posted a screenshot of his own scale showing that Justin Gaethje has hydrated back up to 165.2 yeah. already with a cut line that says, poor bastard, still cutting weight. I'm back to 165 while he's dying. Smile emoji. He better make it. He has five minutes. So if you're wondering where Justin Gaethje is at on all this, it would seem gleeful. I would describe it as a gleeful tweet from Justin Gaethje. Yeah, you know, for some reason when he says poor bastard, I don't feel like that is actually dripping with sympathy, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, he may be being facetious, sardonic, mildly sarcastic when he says that. Yeah. Well, you know what? We'll find out on Saturday. But a lot of intrigue now heading into your main event for UFC 274. Uh, let's go ahead and we'll do, uh, we'll do $20 we never want to see again for this week. Some of this Charles Oliveira missing weight business dovetails nicely with with some bets of mine. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm tweeting gleefully about the guy missing weight, but uh, feel a little bit stronger about some of my underdog picks now. Okay, uh, now I got to ask, I made my picks before any of this happened, before anybody went to scale, which maybe in the future I just shouldn't do. Maybe that's yeah. a bad idea and I should rethink that as a, a general strategy. Um, so... This did not change anything that I had already picked. What about you? Had, did you already have your stuff locked in before this? Yeah, my stuff was already on the books before this happened, so I didn't go back and change anything. I also have some Bellator bets, and I didn't. I also didn't realize that Bellator was going to be in Paris and that it would already be happening while we were recording this. But I think all my Bellator picks are uh, main card picks, so I don't think they will have transpired yet by the time we we record this. So I think we're on, we're on solid ground there. Had I had a bet down on Charles Oliveira, would I have changed it? I don't know. I don't think so. I probably would have let it ride. I probably would have just let it ride. Um, just to recap here quickly with how we're doing, uh, we have wagered $260 so far this year. This week, I finished at $29.97 for a total earnings of $9.97. I came into the week up $8.22 for the year. I am now up $18.19. I went four and two on my bets with one kind of hinky outcome that I'll talk about in a second. My overall record for the year is 38-38-1, so I'm back at 500. Uh, I lost my Ben Folks system bet. Okay. 
where I bet on uh, Mazzani okay, so wait a minute, Young, wait a minute. the now, fight, to go when, over. When you just come up and, and talk about it being your bet, you don't mention any Ben Folk system. But then when it loses, it's, that's the headline. Ben Folk's system fails you. Well, you were the one when we talked about these bets, you pointed out, you're like, oh, that's a, that's a bet straight well, from the system. that was before it lost, obviously. <laughs> so now you don't want to claim it mm-hmm. now that I lost it. I, I had Don't the, know uh, her. I had the over in that one, and that uh, that did not cash. Shauna Young beat Gina Mazzani via TKO uh, three minutes and 11 seconds into the second round. So there you go. Uh, I also lost my underdog bet on Gerald Mearshart. Yeah, he me too. dropped a unanimous decision to Christoph Jotko. The rest of my bets were winners. I had Grant Dawson. I had Marlon Vera, the underdog pick in the main event. And I had my parlay, Andre Arlovsky and Darren Elkins. I sweated that one out a little bit with the split decision win from Andre Arlovsky. But that was the big the big bet of the week. That, that cashed for $13.41. So I was in good shape after that. Now, I had one other parlay scheduled. I had uh, Natan Levy and... Uh, Tatsuro Taira, the Japanese yeah. prospect who was supposed to be on this card. Of course, he fell out hours before uh, fight time. So what DraftKings did, and by the way, we can go ahead and we can say DraftKings now. Hell yeah. That, uh, that uh, uh, we got the sponsorship locked down for DraftKings. We got the, the, the co-main event promo code. If you go over there and use that this week with your bets, they'll give you $5 with which to pick one winner on the UFC 270 card, 2 UFC 274 card, excuse me. And if that bet hits, then you get $150 basically in credit. Yeah, that's a good deal. Bets. So that's I mean, a good deal. You just enter that co-main event, all one word. You could use the biggest favorite on the card, put down a $5 bet and uh, really make out like a bandit there. Yeah. So after uh, Tayara dropped out, they just gave me Natan Levy as a straight up bet at minus 200 and he won. Uh, he defeated Mike Breeden. And so that paid out. That was supposed to be a $5 parlay. If I had won that, I would have won $10.71. As it happens, it cashed for $7.50. So that got me to $29.97. Ben, how'd you do on your picks this last weekend? Well, I I felt like I did well. I'll say that. It felt okay. good. Yeah. Uh, how'd, you, how'd you do on your bets? What was your, how many did you win? How many did you lose? I won two. Okay. I lost three, but that was that's not important. It, it's the two that I won that I felt really good about. That's the, mm. coincidentally the same exact record you had the week before. Hmm. I don't. So I don't two, know. Two straight weeks at two Mm-mm. and three for Ben Folks. I don't remember that. Uh, I bet that uh, Rob Font and Marlon Vera would go the distance. They did. I okay. that was five dollars to make eight dollars and thirty three cents. I also bet Andre Arlovsky would win a decision, which he did. Plus one thirty odds on that. Five dollars to win eleven dollars and fifty cents. I will point out though that in the betting column that I write uh, before these, those were the two bets I really zeroed in on. Both those hit. So kind of a genius there. Um then I lost three bets after that. Elkins, Feely, Font. Parlay did not hit. Took a flyer. Took a wild flyer. Two dollar and fifty cent bet on Chase Sherman just because plus eleven hundred odds. Yeah, you know, I'm a riverboat gambler, Chad. I can't. <laughs> yeah, we see, found, I can't see that, and that just turned my back. We found out after the fact that you had bet against the largest favorite in modern UFC history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Felt like Chase Sherman was due, uh, and then I also had a two dollar fifty cent bet down on Gerald Mearshart. Lost that. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, my $20 became $19.83. I lost 17 cents. Okay, that's not too bad. No. That's not too bad. No. So that, you came into the week at negative uh, $37.64. Why do you have to say it like that? That's we're just keeping track, man. That's the whole reason we're doing this. So that drops you to... Just such uh, relish in your voice. You, you, I, this is going to really look bad for you when, by the end of the year, I'm predicting I'm going to be up two grand. You're really How are you going to feel then? You're really going to have to turn things around. Starting this week. If that's the case. Starting now. So you're now at minus 3781. So yeah, you kind of, you kind of held firm there. Kind of call it a push. All right. Uh, let's get into our UFC 274 slash PFL slash Bellator actual bets. Uh, I, I, I ended up making just a bunch of terrible bets. Okay. Wow. All right. Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't feel great about this, but you got to go where your, where your spidey sense tells you to go. And, uh, I, I, I got nothing but plus money bets, which is, uh, it's probably bad news for me to be quite frank here. So, uh, as a, uh, as a disclaimer, if you're listening to this at home, don't make any of these bets because okay. these are probably, these are probably going to be terrible. I have uh, one. You're saying two, this is three, entertainment four. purposes only kind of week for you. Yeah. I got six bets and four of them are parlays. Shit. So what's gotten into you? I, just, I don't know, man. Just kind of, I kind of got carried away. I'll start with this one. This is the one, uh, where I couldn't stop clicking names. <laughs> This is my parlay where I couldn't stop clicking names. I got Lupita. Okay, Loopy. I got I got Norma who missed weight, so I'm not wow. feeling great about that. Uh, I got Julia Bud over in the PFL, and I got Kayla. Well, that's a four fight parlay. That's a five dollar bet at plus two fifty two. That one would pay out seventeen dollars and sixty three cents. All right, I'm not an, an expert on the math. I know that's going to shock everybody, but. I got to assume Kayla Harrison is coming in as a pretty big favorite. Yeah, she is. Uh, we got to actually have that coming up in the power rankings, but she is a minus 3,500 favorite. Jesus. Does that even help you to add to the parlay? Would you be better off leaving her out of the parlay and just making it a three fight parlay? I mean, I don't think your odds get any worse by adding a, a fourth fight on there. Okay. If Kayla Harrison is the one who screws up this parlay, <laughs> I mean... You're what just going to jump what, a train what, out of town. We'll never yeah, hear what, from you again. What can you do about that if that's the case? Yeah. Okay. So what's that? That's a four fight parlay. What's, what does that pay out? Uh, 1763. That's the one where I just couldn't stop clicking names. Okay. Just give me one more and one more after that. Uh, all right. Well, I might as well start with uh, my prelim parlay. Uh, all mine are UFC bets, by the way. Nothing, oh, nothing Bellator or PFL for me. Oh, no, wow. there, was a, there was enough here for me uh, with this UFC card. That's not always the case. Some of these UFC fight night events, you know how it goes. I get tempted to throw in a NHL bet, maybe maybe some Premier League action. But uh, this time, it, the UFC 274 has a lot going on. I'm pretty excited about it. So They don't they don't call you a Zufa zombie for nothing. That's true. They call me that everywhere I go at all times. It gets kind of annoying. Uh, my prelim parlay, give me Loopy. Yeah. Give me Black Oi even off. Okay, yeah. And give me Brandon Royville. That's three fight parlay plus 267 odds. A, a mild $2.50 bet to make $9.18. All right, see, so what you rolled in there and got better odds than I did just with your three fight parlay than I did on my uh, four fight can't stop clicking names parlay. 
Uh, I got one where I mixed and matched one fighter from each of the three major cards this weekend. Okay. So I took uh, Davy Davy Gallon, or they're over there in Paris. It could be uh, Davy Gallon for all I know on Bellator. I took that guy. Uh, I took Anthony Pettis, Showtime, Pretty Tony from the PFL, and I took Blagoy Ivanov in the UFC. That's a plus one sixty nine parlay. A two dollar and fifty cent bet would pay out six dollars and seventy three cents. Wow, big money, big big money. Well. I have another parlay here. Um, I don't know if you remember back before when my all Trevor Whitman parlay hit. Yeah. But you're telling me we got Justin Gaethje and Rosanama Yunus on the same card? Damn it. Wrap them up together. Give me both to go. Wow. Gaethje and Thug Rose. I put them together in a two-fight parlay. That gets me plus 276 odds. Can't swear those odds would be the same now. I would imagine Justin Gaethje's odds have narrowed a bit after uh, Charles Oliveira missed weight. But plus 276, I put five bones on it to make $18.82. Oh, that ain't bad. That actually is not a bad bet right mm-hmm. there, uh, especially for a parlay. Um, let me see. I'm going to check the lines here, see if uh, see if our guy, Justin Gaethje, has, has moved. Yeah, I tried to check it, and it's right now... DraftKings has Justin Gaethje at plus one thirty. Okay, so and it has moved from when I. Put I thought my it was bet what down. was it like plus one forty five earlier today? It was plus one fifty five. I'll just say oh. I put an underdog bet down on Justin Gaethje this morning. Two dollar and fifty cent bet at plus one fifty five would pay out six thirty seven if he wins. So I got that one. Okay, that's got to feel good though. You got in there. You got in early. I guess like I felt. I don't know if it really increases his his chances with this whole weight miss thing, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Oh, just changed again. Now that I'm looking at the page, it flashes at you when it changes while you're looking at it. Now Justin Gaethje is plus 120. Jesus. Wow. It's a lot so, of money coming in on Justin Gaethje now mm-hmm. that uh, now that Chucky Olives has missed weight. All right. Uh, I got a straight Bellator main card parlay. It's a three-fight parlay. I went and took Bader, Larkin, and Romero. You can give me those guys. That's plus 140. A $2.50 bet pays out $6.01. The... Uh, the, they're all favorites. The narrowest favorite among that group is your boy, Yoel. So he could be the weak link. We'll see. Would that parlay, I mean, do you have a name for that parlay? That's the Bellator main card parlay. But that's pretty boring. How about it's, I want to prove to you that I am an old head. <laughs> I mean, that is, I looked at the card and I was like, well, I'm not going to bet on Czech Congo. Who else do I know? <laughs> Ryan Bader, Lorenz Larkin, and Yoel Romero. So there you mm-hmm. go. That's the been down since day one parlay right there. Well, I tell you what. I look at Mike Chandler versus Tony Ferguson, especially scheduled for three rounds, and I think, here are two guys who are tough as shit. I think Mm -hmm. that fight is going the distance. So I got plus 150 odds on those two guys to go the distance, $5 to make $12.50. Okay. Yeah, that's not too bad. Uh, I also had a two-fight parlay here, Rose Nama Yunus and Brandon Royville. Put those two together, uh, plus 112, $5 bet pays out $10.62. Well, that's not bad. Uh, in addition to me thinking that Chandler and Ferguson are going the distance, readers of my betting column will know that I think Chandler probably going to win that via decision. And you can get a pretty tasty line on Chandler via decision just because 
you know, Tony Ferguson may have fallen off a little bit at 38 years old, but I don't think that he's an easy guy to finish even now, especially in only three rounds. So I took Michael Chandler via decision plus 240 odds. I got on that. That's five bucks to make an even 17. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I was going to use this bet to transition into the power rankings here, uh, but I went the other way. I took an underdog flyer on Tony Ferguson. Ooh, uh, plus okay. $2.90. That's a $2.50 bet that would pay out nine seventy five. I don't feel that great about it now knowing that you got damn near the same odds on Michael Chandler by decision. Uh <laughs> But I'll stick with Tony. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm gonna, we'll talk about it a little bit in the power rankings. We'll talk about it in the power rankings because we're going we're gonna to lead off. You done with your bets? No, I got one. I got $2.50 okay. left. All right. How are you going to spend that $2.50? And then we're going to get into power rankings. You want to know how I'm going to spend the $2.50? That's what you want to know? I'll tell you how I'm going to spend the two fifty, so. Chad. Shogun Hua via knockout. Oh, boy. Wow. Okay. Woo! Come on. Let's let's worry forever young one more night dreaming of glory out there swinging them things like it is the Saitama Super Arena in 2005 all over again. Give me Shogun via KO plus 450 odds. I'm throwing $2.50 down on it to make 13.75. Okay. Can you feel the excitement? I feel it. It's coursing through my veins. Mhm. It's like I drank rocket fuel. Yep. Uh, all right, let's go ahead. We'll transition here into co-main event podcast, Patreon, Power Hour, Power Rankings. Let me say one more time, uh, don't make any of those bets because uh, <laughs> they're all plus money bets. I'm probably going to get taken to the cleaners. We got 10 items this week in the Power Rankings. We're going to lead it off here, which is why I wanted to use my Tony Ferguson bet as a transition. Ben, Tony Ferguson returned to the UFC spotlight this week in advance of his lightweight contender fight on Saturday against Michael Chandler. And frankly, it had been a while since we had heard from Tony Ferguson. Guy hasn't fought in the UFC since last May. He's currently riding a pretty ugly three-fight losing streak, and he's going off as something approaching a three-to-one underdog against Chandler over at DraftKings. Uh, And brother, Tony Ferguson had a lot to say, both at Wednesday's Media Day and then uh, yesterday at the press conference. And he has always been an interesting guy. Maybe this performance out there in front of the media reminded us a little bit of uh, how much we've missed him or if we missed him or why we missed him. And, uh, you know, he was just it seemed like he was being very honest about his his thoughts and feelings as he makes this UFC return. He had a lot of critical things to say about the UFC at the press conference yesterday. He said that uh, he wants all fighters to have health insurance. He says we all have families basically said, uh, let's. Let's get the health insurance instead of doing the fight night bonuses. Uh, he also showed up at the at the media day the day before. Said Dana White acts like a drug dealer. Had you know revealed some of their uh, past negotiations that Tony Ferguson had wanted to go do boxing and Dana White had said no. I mean, it's always interesting when a fighter either gets free of his UFC contract or he reaches the point in his career where he no longer fears reprisals from the UFC or where he realizes that as much as he feels like he has given to the company, that he's probably not going to get that back. And I feel like Tony Ferguson is at that stage right now. What did you make of the Tony Ferguson uh, media performance this week. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you're right about the stage that he's at. I think what you're looking at is, to some extent, 
he's been through it. He, we talk sometimes about the, the mayfly existence of the pro fighter, that the, the mini life cycle that they go through sometimes in a span of just a few years. And if you look at the last what, five years, so for Tony Ferguson, you see it because he was on that long winning streak. He won the interim UFC lightweight title in October, 2017. Uh, then, you know, ends up getting stripped of the title after tripping on a damn power cord and getting injured. Uh, has a couple big wins after that kind of kicks off the UFC pandemic era and in that interim title fight against Justin Gaethje in which he ends up taking just a hellacious beating. You know, loses that one, loses to Charles Oliveira, loses to Benil Dariush, uh, been sort of on the shelf for about a year now and coming back and sort of at 38, looking at where his career is, how he's been treated, how he feels like he's been treated by the UFC, what the f- near future likely looks like. And I think a lot of fighters, once they reach that stage, it's a lot easier for them to see how this shit is kind of stacked against them in some ways. How how yeah. the the things work in favor of the promoter and not the fighter. And that when you, I think, can see maybe a little, the end of the road somewhere up ahead, a lot of that shit gets clearer for people. Also, just the more time you spend in this sport, the more how you see how it does everybody, the more you see the ways it could be sort of naturally exploitative. And uh, I guess it's hard not to get real about it and uh, to, to feel like, you know, the, the veil's been lifted for you a little bit. So I think that that's part of it. I also think part of it is just that that's sort of how Tony Ferguson is wired. Like you saw him in some of the media day stuff this week. It felt like anything anybody said to him, he was ready to take it in sort of a confrontational direction. And he's always sort of been like that. I've, I've interviewed him a number of times and he's one of the few fighters him. I would say Carl Parisian is another one where I sometimes hung up the phone after interviewing them and been like, what the hell, man? Why did it seem like that guy just wanted to argue with me? Even when I wasn't saying anything to really push his buttons or anything, why did it feel like everything he said? Like, John Morgan was trying to sort of like, you know, joking around with him, asking him, like, okay, how about that Dana White privilege remark that you made? And now it has seemed kind of oddly prescient. He's like, I don't think it's funny. You're yeah. like, whoa, okay, man. We were just, we were trying to give you like some daps on that one because that was something that you came up with. And he seemed ready to take everything in that direction. And also just that sort of, Sometimes when you're listening to him talk in a, a Diaz-esque way, it's a little bit of a stream of consciousness, and you're like, "Well, I got lost there for a minute. I don't know how we got how where this thread has led us." But then he'll say something where you go, oh, "Okay, you're actually making kind of a good point there." And then the next thing you know, he's showing you off his high school football championship ring, and you're like, "Wait a minute, do you wear that around all the time?" Because I'm kind of feeling like you do. Yeah, uh, it felt to me like from at least from his point of view, he was telling it like it is. And I think you got to respect him for that. And it's always kind of refreshing when a UFC fighter will come out there and, and let you behind the curtain a little bit and do all that stuff. At the same time, there was an aspect of this that is kind of part of what drives me nuts about fighters airing their grievances about the UFC. And that is, is that it feels like they'll, they'll never just come out and say it. And even Tony Ferguson is doing that here. Like, uh, you know, you start to ask him, like he says he's been treated like shit. And he's like, oh, you should ask the other fighters, ask the other fighters who feel like they've been treated like shit. And then you end up getting into this, as you mentioned, just kind of like stream of consciousness, long diatribe where he talks about how he wanted to box. He talks about how he took a bad fall on the Fox set and lost his yeah. uh, interim title. And he's kind of like piling all this stuff up. But it doesn't ever feel like ever, anyone ever comes out and just tells you. Just says, here's here's why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, and I'm gonna I will lay it out for you in chronological order, and you can tell me if I'm 
if I'm right or wrong. It's always just kind of like a twisted tale where there's like they're implying stuff and like they're making they're sort of making points, but then they don't want to tell you the whole story. I don't know. It's weird. I wish somebody would just just tell us, man. Just come out and tell us if you're going to sit there and do this in front of the media. Just tell us the tale. Don't don't be coy about it. Just tell us for the most part. I think you got to respect in what he was doing and I love it. And there's a little bit of it where I was like, just tell the whole story, man. Just tell us what it is. Tell us why you're feeling like this. Yeah. But you're uh, saying don't say it unless you're going to say it. That's right. Uh, Let's go in. We'll do number nine this week on the power rankings, Ben. And that is uh, these motherfuckers made Cowboy Cerrone cry, Ben. Cowboy (laughs) Cerrone. Bring him out there in front of the media. Ask him a question about uh, how excited he is to go out there and perform in front of the fans. Unexpectedly, I think, Donald Cerrone, who is always kind of a seemingly honest guy, uh, breaks down in tears a little bit as he says, it's not me, it's my son. I can't wait to walk out there and see the look on his face. I can't wait. He finally knows what I do. It's crazy how emotional I get. But anytime uh, I was working out and I didn't want to do it, that's who I thought about. I can't fucking wait. I can't wait to see him smile and be like, wow, this is my dad. So to me, that's what I wanted. That's why I wanted a sold out crowd to walk out of that tunnel, blow the roof off this place and look over and see my son like, wow, dad, that's you. He's almost four now. So he'll be able to grasp that. That's from uh Damon Martin's transcription of the Donald Cerrone media day interview, but, uh, did not expect, you know, we always know cowboy is an introspective and kind of honest guy about appraising his own performances, but I did not expect it to get quite that emotional, uh, with cowboy Cerrone. And again, it's just another look of this guy, uh, who's, who's down the road in his career quite a ways and is maybe starting thinking about different things and starting to gauge, uh, his career in different ways, which is always interesting to see. You know what? When you say they made Donald Cerrone cry, yeah, I, I get what's going on here because I think you and I both know something happens when you become a parent and it yeah. turns you into a big old crybaby mm-hmm. in ways that, that just were not there before. And it's unpredictable. That's one of the things I've found that has surprised me, I, especially uh, sometimes like talking about my children or, or thinking about them or something or talking to them. And you'll just be like, why the hell would this shit make me cry? Why the hell would I feel emotional about this? Something about it, something about becoming a parent turns you into a crybaby. You can't help it. You just got to roll yeah. with it. Got to embrace it. Ain't that the truth? Number eight this week, Ben. Oh, no. Dan Tom makes the case why Carla Esparza can beat Rose Namajunas. This comes immediately on the heels of you and I both going out and saying, <laughs> hey, we got this DraftKings sponsorship where they'll if you, you just got to pick one winner on the UFC 274 card, you put $5 on it. If you win, you get 150 bucks in free money and in free bets over there at DraftKings, free credits. Uh, if you use the promo code co-main event, both you and I said the safest way to go here is with Rose Namajunas. She's going to yeah. win this thing. Just put your bet over there. Dan Tom, who does a great job over at MMA Junkie with his uh, his analysis, immediately comes out after that. I assume just to screw us, specifically to yeah. needle us, comes out with his article today uh, about how Carla Esparza can use her her skills and her wrestling uh, to actually defeat Rose Namajunas. That's I didn't need that. I didn't need that, frankly. No, no, because I was feeling pretty confident about it. But I really respect Dan Tom's breakdowns. And uh, yeah, he knows more about this shit than we do. And now he's saying we're wrong. Damn it. You know, though, just the way. See, though, 
in his breakdown, I noticed that he he lists as you know these various points of interest in the fight, and one of them is talking about you know uh, who will win the the wrestling battle and uh, saying how it won't be a surprise to see Carlos Barza going for takedowns early on. When we talked about this on Monday, I said that if you're Carlos Barza, if you can take Rose Namajunas down in round one and keep it there at least a little bit of the time, then you feel like your confidence probably starts to go up. But I also think the the opposite is also true. If Rose Namajunas can stuff a takedown or two early on, then I think that Carla Esparza might start start to get worried. That's I, I don't see how she wins this fight if she does not at least get some takedowns. And if Rose Namajunas can make it clear to her that it is not 2014 again and that door is closed to her now, then she might worry, she might panic a little bit. I just I just don't like the feeling it gives me, man. I don't. No. I don't like being on the opposite side of a bet for a guy who does as good a job as Dan Tom. Yeah, that's true. This makes me nervous. We just said people should put their money on Rose Namajunas, and then I see this, and I'm like, oh shit. Maybe people shouldn't listen to us. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, where are we at here? Number seven this week, Ben Yoel Romero wants to fight into his fifties and shit, man. He's almost there. Uh, Forty-five years old is Yoel Romero. Just turned at the end of April. He is on the Bellator card. Uh, tonight against Alex Polizzi, as I said, he is the uh, the narrowest favorite of all the guys I picked in my uh, Bellator parlay. He is going off as just a slight favorite in this fight. Uh, minus 190, I guess almost two to one, but still you'd like to see that be a little bit more lopsided. Uh, what do you think? Is Yoel Romero going to be one of these guys that's out at the carnival when he's 55 with his trunks pulled up over his belly button, taking on all comers for a quarter? If you can 100%. last one round with Yoel Romero? Absolutely. I'd be shocked if he doesn't make it into his 50s. I would think, you know what, he might... I could see Yoel Romero retiring at, you know, 58 and feeling like, well, I probably still got some left in me, but might as well quit while I'm ahead. Yeah, you know, I, still- I, one of the things I'm interested to hear from this interview, this is a quote from Yoel Romero, life in athletics is short. But it can be prolonged, and that's on you. The way you live and your day-to-day, that's on you. If you unload all your rounds, you're not going to have any bullets left to fire. It's the same thing if you mistreat your body, if you're staying up all night, if you drink and you live a disorganized life. I'm not saying for you not to do it. You can go out and do your thing, but you can't pretend to be partying every day and eating unhealthy because your body is going to call your attention and get you to stop. And that's what I try to do every day. Live a life as organized as possible so that my athletic life can be as long as possible. I also don't train like crazy. I don't. I train very well, but very systematically, thanks to my trainers. I look after myself in training, the nutrition, the rest and recovery, everything. Now, see, I feel like I am heeding at least part of UL Romero's advice. I don't train like crazy. Yeah. A little bit, you know, a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Uh-huh. Don't want to. Like a uh, Dan Henderson style, I'm just about to start running <laughs> training regimen. I don't want to fire all my bullets. I'm saving some of them. But it also makes me think of when Yoro Mero, I can't remember who he was talking to, but he was talking about the importance of stretching every day. And one of the MMA media people replied, he's like, okay, like, so that's the thing for you to make sure to stretch every day. And, and Yoro Mero, like, like his head, like, snapped up, like he had heard just something utterly insane. He was like, yes, of course, every day. What, you don't, you're telling me you don't stretch every day? Oh, Jesus, man. Like, <laughs> how have you made it this far? <laughs> How are you even here right now? Yeah. How are, uh, you, how are you still sucking oxygen? But you all remember, this is what old guys know, is that the older you get, the more just maintaining is your occupation. 
the more it work and just daily attention it requires just to keep the train on the tracks, man. You can't take that for granted the older you get. You well knows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say he'll probably be out here 58 years old working the carnival circuit still with a body that I would gladly trade for. Oh, yeah. Joel Romero's body. Chiseled out of stone. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Number six this week, Ben. Uh, The theme of this week seems to be veteran fighters claiming that they hadn't been taking this shit serious recently, but now they are. Tony Ferguson said this, said he had to come out and change a lot of his his camp, his training, how he was doing it. Donald Cerrone came out and said he, he hasn't been taking it serious, that he had to call bullshit on himself and go. Uh, Donald Cerrone drove his damn RV up to Vegas and has been, as in his words, parking lot pimping outside the U- Las Vegas UFC PI uh, for the, this training camp. Said he had to get out of the his own home gym, the, the, the BMF ranch and go change his training. Another guy who said this, Anthony Pettis, as he uh, approaches this new PFL uh, season and run that he is on. Uh, He says, last season, I admit it to myself. I had to be my biggest critic. I didn't take it as seriously as I should have. It's a two-month training camp for my first fight, and I usually do my training camps in eight to ten weeks, and that's not this format. You can't do it that way. The bulk load of the training has to be done before the first fight because if you get hurt in the first fight or anything happens, you can lose two or three weeks of training, and boom, you're right back into another fight. I learned that lesson underestimating the level of competition. That is from uh, Danny Segura and Matthew Wells' story over on MMA Junkie. So you got a lot of veterans who haven't been that successful in their most recent time out here ben coming out and telling us this week oh no 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 now i'm taking it serious are you buying this uh yes and no like i saying i i didn't take it as seriously as i should have or i underestimated the competition that seems like when you you went in and you lost and afterwards you had to find a reason why you lost and you knew the reason couldn't be that they were better than you or that you might be on the downside of your athletic prime. That's the things you cannot allow yourself to think because mostly because they're unhelpful. If you're Anthony Pettis, you still got to find a way to get in that cage and talk yourself into believing that you're going to win every single one from here on out. And if you just say, Oh, these factors that are kind of out of my control, that's what did me in. Then you're screwed because then you don't have anything you can tell yourself. I fixed it. We're good to go. Now I, I get what he's saying though, about, how this format 
makes you have to approach training differently because the fights are sort of your season is basically laid out. It's not like we're going to do this one and then we're going to see if you win or you lose and you see where you are from there. And then we'll make plans about the next one. Like those plans are kind of already set about what we're going to do. And if even if you come out of a fight and you win, if you got a little banged up and you can't jump right back in the gym, then it leaves you in a bad position preparation wise for the next one. So I can understand how that the PFL format uh, might take a little bit of an adjustment as to how you want to get ready for it. That makes some sense to me. Number five this week, Ben, uh, we can add Chris Cyborg to the list of MMA fighters who say now they want to box. Here's her quote. She was on the MMA hour with Ariel Helwani this week. She said, I would like to do a boxing fight. It's the perfect time for me. I can do that. I'm ready. I want to do that. It's a challenge. In the beginning of my career, before I was doing MMA, I was doing boxing. I've competed in wrestling, Muay Thai, BJJ, but I've never had a boxing opportunity. And before I finish my career, for sure, this is one of my dreams. I like striking. I finish all my fights by KO. I like to strike, so it's going to be good. She says uh, she would like to be on the undercard of a Jake Paul fight. That would be, quote unquote, perfect for Cyborg. Uh, This list grows seemingly by the day of the MMA veterans who say they want to go get some of that boxing money, have a boxing fight. I don't know, man. Am I being an asshole that I kind of feel like at this point when somebody says this, even if it's Cyborg, I'm like, eh, okay, it's whatever. I don't know. I think Cyborg is one of the people who has more cachet than most to say some shit like this. Remember, she went and did some kickboxing and stuff. Cyborg will do some stuff like that. Plus, can't you kind of picture it? She just says, I'd love to be on a Jake Paul undercard. As soon as she said it, I can be like, "Mm, okay, yeah, I could see that. I could actually see that happening. Couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. That seems like uh, Jake Paul might want to give her a car, a call. Yeah. He seems like he, you know, he's definitely paying enough attention to MMA that he knows. Uh, He also has sort of made his living these days roping in the MMA crowd first before the boxing crowd even. So uh, I could see him absolutely uh, Sitting there and being like, okay, let's find somebody for Chris Cyborg to to maybe beat up on a Jake Paul undercard. And maybe a bunch of people who before were saying, I'll just watch a gif of Jake Paul afterwards. are like, okay, maybe now I'll buy the pay-per-view and see the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, number four this week, Ben, Ray Cooper the third, just a bit outside the welterweight limit. We thought this was going to be the weight miss news of the week. He's going into the PFL three card. He's, he's supposed to fight at 170, uh, weighs in at 176.4 for his fight against uh, Carlos Leal. And this is this is one of those ones where I was like, oh, man, we could just ballpark it. Like, you know, we could just we could say close enough when uh, Charles Oliveira is a half pound over. This is not that. This is yeah, yeah. the opposite of that. This is you're up in the you're in the next weight class up. Do you think Ray Cooper is hearing all this stuff about maybe somebody fucking with a scale? And he was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> yes. They yeah. really so something. They really went in there and messed with it, man. I'm telling you, uh, this is like, it's an epidemic of people messing with these scales. Something's got to be done. We need to launch an investigation. Maybe the problem was that uh, Ray Cooper the third had Donald Cerrone's kid up there wearing his Ninja Turtle backpack with him on the scale. Maybe that's why he weighed in at a 176.4. That will throw you off. You never know what those kids got in those backpacks. My daughter spent half a year walking around with actual rocks in her backpack. Fuck. Me too. Rock collection. Me too. 
Uh, number three this week, Ben, looks like we might be watching Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky do the damn thing again, again, brother, while we're down in Vegas for the co-main event podcast 10-year anniversary meetup, UFC 276, July the 2nd. Uh, this, I believe, as long as they make good on the plans that were on the big board in Dana White's office that were leaked to the uh, the media after his video appearance on The Pivot, might give you two title fights on that card if if you actually get Israel Adesanya versus Jared Cannonier on there as well. What's your interest level? Does this does this significantly increase your hype level for UFC 276? I'm conflicted. I got to tell you because on one hand, is Volkanovski Max Holloway a hell of a fight? Good matchup between two of the best 145 pounders. Yes, it is. Absolutely. We've seen that already from their first two fights, that those two guys are very close. It'd be an interesting fight, especially when you've spent so much time in the cage together already and know each other really well. It'll be interesting to see the adjustments they make, all that kind of stuff. Plus, you know, like Volkanovski was saying, there's it's not like there's a clear like top contender who is a fresh face at 145 right now. I can understand why you make this fight. At the same time, how many of these are we going to do? Because... If if Alexander Volkanovsky wins again, that has to be it, right? That absolutely we cannot keep doing this shit anymore if he is 3 and 0 against Max Holloway. But on the flip side, what if Max Holloway wins? Yeah. Are we in a World Series situation at that point? Yeah, Are we in a best of 7 best series? Seven. Yep. Cuz that's fucking ridiculous, win four man. In a row. Yeah, and like I can understand how then the UFC will be like, "Well, what is the how can we get the public interested in a fourth fight, especially you don't want to turn right around and do a fourth fight after that. But then Alexander Volkanovsky is going to be sitting there being like, wait a minute, I won two straight. And then I still gave this son of a bitch a third one. And now you're not going to give me a chance to get my get back. Like I would be mad about that if I were him, especially since these fights have all been pretty close. And if, if you do lose one, it's likely to be a close decision. So it is, it's a little bit tricky on those grounds, but at the same time, I kind of get it when there's not a ton of better options. You know what, though? You have to give Volkanovsky credit for, though, is that he's turning right around, getting right back in there, defending the title, and defending the title. Like, this is a fight that there's not really that much to gain for him other than the payday and all that because you already have two wins over the guy. If you beat him a third time, big deal. And yet you're willing to turn right around after your last title defense, not a whole lot of time off, and go straight back into a fight against one of the toughest dudes in the division, put that title up for grabs. That's some champ shit right there. That's some company man shit. And you, yeah. you hope that he's being paid accordingly. Number two this week, Ben, Kayla Harrison has made her choice. And she returns to the PFL tonight where she is, as I said earlier, a minus 3,500 favorite over Marina Mokatina. Probably nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, and do we have any interest in this now? You and I were both on record as supporting of this move for Kayla Harrison. Frankly, fighters should do whatever they want all the time with their careers. They should go for the money if that's what they want to do. They should go for legacy if that's what they want to do. Whatever makes them feel like they are getting the most out of their athletic prime, I am cool with it. I think that's what they should do. I think they should be the masters of their own ships, so to speak. Uh, but after we do all this contract intrigue with Kayla Harrison, where she's like, oh, maybe I'll go to the UFC, maybe I'll go to Bellator, ultimately I'm going to re-sign with the PFL. She has had all of her professional fights except one in the PFL. She beat uh, Courtney King in Invicta in November of 2020. Uh 
are we still interested? Like how much interest do you have now in, in Kayla Harrison coming back to this PFL season and continuing to fight people against whom she is this kind of a favorite? Not that interested, honestly, because yeah. now it's, we've seen the dominance on display. It's hard to dominate anymore. And when you're this big of a favorite and it feels like you're just, you know, beating up a, a series of like whoever we could find, you know, baristas, uh, cardio kickboxers, whoever we're, we can find to throw in there. That's the impression. That's like the, the, the public sentiment about it. The only interesting thing that could happen is for you to lose any other like absolutely smashing people on route to a, a quick victory. That isn't even enough to still be impressive after all this stuff. So it is, a, I get it. She wants to get that money. She's going to go to the highest bidder, all that stuff, plus the chance to hang around here, fight easier fights, and still collect big paydays. That's hard to turn down. It is prize fighting. Give me the worst opponents for the biggest paycheck is a sound reasoning uh, for any pro fighter, but it doesn't make me terribly excited to make sure I'm in my seat to watch it. I can catch the highlights later. Yeah, that would that would seem to be the trade-off, I guess. Uh, number one this week, Ben, Dana White talks about his weird emotional journey in and around the sale of the UFC. Uh, this once again, I think this is, is this while he's on the pivot again this week? I believe um, so. He's talking about the sale of the UFC when the Fertitta brothers decided to cash out, move the UFC to Endeavor. Here are his quotes. It was actually a really bad time for me. I didn't want to do it. And the Fertittas were ready to get out. And here was the thing. Uh, they had a sit down with me. They basically said, we had everybody in here going through the deal. Everybody was in here kicking the tires, looking to buy it from ESPN to Turner and all these different funds and groups from all over the world. They sat me down and said, we're going to sell this thing and we're ready to go, but nobody will take it unless you stay. So you have to stay. You have to do this. And I was kind of in a weird place because I'd done this thing with them. They're my best friends. We'd done it together. And I got a little fucked up. I took off for a while and I went up into a hotel room and I didn't come out for a few days. I was a little fucked up over the whole thing. And then he says, I snapped out of it. I got my shit together. The sale happened. And what I'm saying is, uh, if I had to stay, don't put me with some fucked up group of people. Ari Emanuel, Ari Emanuel was going to do this thing. He was going hard at this thing. And I wanted to be with Ari. So it worked out perfect. And Ari's been incredible to work with. Uh, so it couldn't have turned out any better. I'll just read this other part that he says about getting the payment for, for, for selling the UFC. I had money. I'd already had money. I'd had money for fucking 15 years before that. But then you get that kind of money. I built a bigger house. I don't walk away. I'm going through that transition with the Fertitas from WME. And it was a good experience for me. I'm reminded of how much I really love this business. and I love what I do. What I do. They're probably going to have to fucking drag me out of here. I don't see myself walking away from this. That's about as introspective and maybe honest as you'll ever hear Dana White be on any topic, I think. Like, he, it kind of feels like he's given it to us straight, and yet, obviously, it's hard to be empathetic for a guy who becomes a hundred millionaire, a multiple mm -hmm. hundred millionaire from from keeping all the money uh, in this sport that that he is, has largely built up. But uh, I don't know, man, it feels weird for, like, Dana White to... I think he's told this story before in other venues. It's maybe not even the first time we've heard this, but this strikes me as... Uh, as revealing, I think, as you'll ever get from from this particular guy. And yet, how do you maintain this level of sort of like cognitive dissonance where you can say all that about what it was like for you to get so much money that it kind of fucked with your head? 
and then turn around and be like, you know what? These boxers are overpaid. MMA fighters, these guys out here making fucking 10 and 10, bleeding, getting their faces smashed for, you know, 18 and 18 before taxes, fees, and all the rest of it taken out. No, that's they are being appropriately compensated for that, for building this grand wealth that has grown to a level that is so immense, it kind of throws me into a brief existential panic. How do you maintain those two ideas simultaneously? Yeah. He, he, on the same podcast, he, he swing, talk about the pivot. He pivots from, I got so much money, it kind of fucked me up, to these people getting their whole shit broke for just barely enough to make it to the next fight. Those, that's the appropriate payment level. Anything other than that, overpaid. Yeah. I mean, maybe he just can't see over the stacks of cash. They're stacked up so high, you just can't see over. I don't know. That's got to be it. It's the only explanation that makes sense, Chad. In any case, that's going to do it for the co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour, Power Rankings, and by extension, the Power Hour itself. Got UFC 274 tomorrow. Bellator 280 is ongoing as we speak. So track your, that. Your guy Lorenz Larkin go. just won, so that, there's part of your bet. Did he? Yep. First, first round TKO. Leg, first leg of the parlay in the books. Uh, we also got the PFL going off also tonight, I believe. So we'll be back on Monday with the proper to break down all the stuff that happens at these events. We'll look forward to another week of Patreon content. If you like what you're hearing on this freebie, considering consider heading over to patreon.com slash co-main event. Join the team over there. You can get in for as low as $1 to get access to the Wednesday live chat. We have a patronage tier for every budget. We'd love to see you there. People have fun. We have fun. Thanks for listening. As for right now, we're done.